Welcome to Neuromovement Revolution with Anat Benyel, where you will discover breakthrough possibilities for your life through the brain's power to change. We're so happy that you can join us in making the impossible possible. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of our podcast series. We are very excited to be with you again. Thank you for joining us. And uh, the topic, uh, the first topic for today is variation, the third essential for positive brain change. So, Anat. Yes, Neil, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here with you again. (laughs) Yes, same here. Would you like to say a few words about variation? Of course, and feel free to say anything you'd like. Okay? Yeah. Hi, good morning, everybody. I am really excited to be here again. Uh, Those two weeks passed extremely fast. Neil and I were for a week in Vancouver and did an amazing, had an amazing experience doing a mentoring, four-day mentoring course to some of our practitioners, 16 of them, that all are working with children and also adults, and then a public workshop. We just loved it, loved the Canadians, loved the experience, and loved Vancouver. And where were we before that, Neil? (laughs) I can't remember. I mean, we have been to Europe, but that was a a while back. No, we were somewhere else in between. But anyway, so it's just so exciting to take this work on the road. And the four days with the children, it was a very intensive program where we had six families, uh, that means six children, and they uh, got 11 sessions in uh, four days. And the changes in the children and the changes in the parents, it's just, it's, it's, as I say, it's worth a life. Do you want to say something about that? Well, for me, this has been a dream of mine for a long time that, you know, we we have this wonderful training program that trains our practitioners. And then I, I want to support them as they grow their practices and grow their skills of working with children. And this is the first time it was Anat, myself and Chris Kraskowski, who is another one of the center practitioners who now travels the globe, um, seeing kids as well. And we were supporting these 16 amazing practitioners. And it was very intense. I remember at the end of day two of only four thinking, oh, my goodness, this is only day two. And I happened to say it out loud. And one of the parents looked at me and went, oh, it is. And she'd already seen such beautiful changes in her child who she was concerned whether she should bring her or not because she just had a major surgery. And, I mean, the the changes in this little girl, bringing her home to herself, bringing the world back into her, you know, her perspective. You could tell. Yeah, she slept. Yeah, no, she was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So So it was amazing. amazing. And I think it's important to say that we do support our practitioners (laughs) in many, many ways. We absolutely do in many ways, but this was a very intense. Yeah, this was a first time this structure. Absolutely. You know, we have membership and we have. Absolutely. Coaching calls. We have a lot of things, but this was the first time we did this one. And it's just, for me, of course, I adore the practitioners and I'll do anything that I know how to get them to have more and more success in the world, which they already have a lot. But also, for me, it's just 
to see again the possibilities for the children and as a result for the parents and the families as a whole uh, is a big, big inspiration and motivation. So now let's go into variations. So variation is our uh, fourth essential. And again, as I do each time, I, what are the essentials for? I mean, we, we know that the essentials uh, dramatically accelerate. I mean, each of the essentials create conditions to dramatically accelerate positive brain change. Uh, just a quick reminder what's behind that acceleration. And behind that acceleration is the, the, the brain is an information system. And the source of information uh, for the brain is stimulation, comes from within, comes from without, but it's the sensory stimulation that we get. But sensory stimulation alone is not enough. The, the, it's the perception of differences in the flow of stimulation. So like a louder voice and a softer voice. More intense contraction of the muscles, less intense contraction. Uh, uh, contraction of the muscles <clears throat> vision the same thing changes in light changes in colors changes in you know the perception of differences and pretty much first of all as far as i'm concerned every human being living on this earth right now could benefit from improving each of our brain's ability to perceive differences it gets us more intelligence, more alert, and gives us freedom to, to, or gives the brain freedom to create connections and formulate new solutions and new possibilities for us. When a child has special needs, the situation, the stresses, the constraints that the condition can be genetic, can be brain uh, trauma, can be uh, structural um, deficiency, uh, any reason or not unknown reason that uh, that we may not know what the reason is, but that puts the child in a, a compromised situation, that, that they're challenged in their spontaneous ability to learn and grow and develop. With it, I found that there is a reduction in the astuteness, the ability of the brain to perceive differences. And that can change very quickly. I also found over the years that pretty much, if not all, really most of the brains of the children I worked with very readily shift to be more and more capable at perceiving differences and, and utilizing that. That means the perception of differences drives the, the brain to, to create new connections. That's the differentiation process, they, their brains just become powerful learning brains. Neil just mentioned the girl that uh, one of the children of the six children who had, you know, massive surgery and then there was a, a problem with it. So they had to redo the surgery a second time within a short time. So really not good. And then she was put in a very constricting body brace so she wouldn't move much so the healing can take the healing of the bones can take place and to see the changes within even those constraints 
within four days, a child that couldn't sleep, was crying all the time, was in pain, was uncomfortable, was devastated. I, you know, whatever she was experiencing, within uh, the first day, the parents said she slept better than she since the surgery, which was three weeks before. Um, and fast forward. A, two, three days more, she was turning her head, she was looking, she was noticing what was happening, she was smiling, she be, she, she, she had the space to, and the ability to begin learning. And it was just stunning to watch. And of course, the other five children was also, maybe we'll mention some of them too. So variation is, you know, so we talked before about movement with attention to the feeling of self. Movement is ongoing change, right? You move, that is change, or there won't be movement. Uh, the attention to the feeling of self informs the brain about, about the changes. We have a chance to feel those changes. We have a chance to perceive differences in the movement itself as we move. The second one was slowing down. As I told you, fast, we can only do what we already know. That's how the brain is structured. However, slow gets the brain's attention, also creates the opportunity to notice differences. Another way of saying it is the perception of difference or difference is that we can define it as a unit of intelligence. When we perceive a difference, the brain also wakes up and can do things it couldn't do before. So variation is intentionally introducing differences. And... Um, and the the uh, so very often, for example, let's say a child with spastic cerebral palsy and they are not able to walk uh, or stand, the tendency is to put them standing and maybe give them braces and supports and stuff and trying to make them stand and stand as best as possible the right way. Or walking like with adults with rehab after they had a stroke, they are they are put on a treadmill and the therapist may be picking up their foot and putting it down, picking up their foot and putting it down. It is useful to a degree, at least in some of the cases. What that does is it actually deprives the brain from the richness of information that it requires in order to figure out, to sort out how to lift the leg. Where is it useful, more useful to put the foot? Where is it less useful to put the foot? So when a, ch a healthy child learns to stand or learns to walk, they do enormous amount of permutations and they start and they fall and the foot comes on this inside and the foot comes on the outside. And in the beginning, their stance is wider. And as they have more differentiation, more control, the stance gets narrower. And then they might cross the legs and trip themselves. All those variations, some people will call it mistakes, but variations, intentional or unintentional, flood the brain with new information. And when the brain gets that, that's when it can differentiate. That means experience different relationships, different possibilities within the body as we move it and the sensation and the awareness of what is going on. And then extract, that means differ, uh, integrate 
something that works. In other words, our tendency to try to, remember the very beginning, one of the podcasts, we try to fix the child. We try to make them do what they can't do. And we tend when we do that to narrow the richness of variability of information uh, and we deny a child with special needs what a child that does not have special needs generates spontaneously for themselves. And we don't know we're doing it because we don't, if we don't understand how the process works from moving from not being able to do something to being able to do something, then we think that we learn to do something by doing that something, right? Standing, walking, sitting, talking, solving uh, mathematic problems. I mean, but as we become more aware that the process, focusing on the process of getting from not being able to do something to doing something uh, in when it's successful and when there's no not interruptions like spasticity due to the you know damage in the brain or things like that, variability, variations are of the essence. Basically, variations is creating differences and creating enough of them that the brain can notice so it gets the information it needs to work with. Anything you want to say about that, or do we have well, questions we have, already? We have questions already, and you know, in some ways, this is such an easy essential because you know, you you are you're you're introducing differences intentionally. But then there's the I know a lot of parents we work with go, but oh, what do I have to do? They think they have to be endlessly creative, but really, just start where your child is and Always. with what they're doing, and in that moment. And just like play around with that and help them to do it a little bit here, a little bit there. So Kavita from from the UK, she says, can you give any practical tips for parents to use at home to introduce variation in day-to-day life? Would it be like variety in tone when speaking or dressing them differently, such as the top before the trousers? Absolutely. Depends, of course, on the child. Depends on the age, whether it means anything from the top or trousers. I would aim, if you do that, to engage the child. So you say, "Are we gonna, are we gonna put this sleeve on first or that sleeve on first? You can be even playful. Say, "Do you think we can put the pants like a shirt?" And you start slowly putting the pants and go like, oh, my God, it doesn't work. And, and or put the, arm, you know, the hands through the, the legs of the pant and then say, oh, I don't think that is. I would do that if I am trying to get the child to have clearer perception of how to dress themselves. That can be. But be careful not to try to do it to fix them. You really introduce variation. When I work, and I've been doing this, as you probably know, for a very long time, I don't know what will happen. I just know that when I introduce variations, almost always there is a, a, a changes are starting to show up and the child comes up with their insights. <clears throat> what was the insight somebody told us about a child that said yesterday? I don't even remember. That was, or even today in the meeting, I, I don't, 
Anyway, children come up with most amazing things because they don't know what to expect. Well, he said his brain felt, it oh. felt like the work was helping his brain. Oh, yeah, there was better. a kid that said, oh, my, this, this work makes my brain work better. <laughs> you know, I thought, like, oh, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> so, but variations can also be very, very uh, simple and subtle. I think I want to accentuate what Neil just said earlier. You don't do variation where you want the child to be. That is always a mistake. So if your child can't stand and you put them standing and start doing variation, it might be a little helpful, but I would start doing variations where the child is. So if the child uh, um, is already doing certain movements and can, uh, or starts putting the foot standing when they're on all, all fours, right, one leg to the side, you can say, oh, you can... The foot can touch here. The foot can touch there. Or maybe you can put the hand here and the foot on top of it. I'm I'm just making things up because I always get I get my marching orders from where the child is at. One of our most powerful and important principles of the method is that we always work with the child, start where they are, and a big part of what practitioners are getting trained to do is to recognize where the child is at. So these that you do the variations with the feeding a child, you can very gently say, oh, and you can put, you can say, oh, the spoon is here, or is this, and then you put the spoon here, so the child starts having to maybe move their eyes and and move their mouth to get the food. And, and not only you're doing these specific variations, you're starting to awaken agency in the child. You're starting to awaken the child to be interested. They're not just being done to, being done to. It's like it can be like this. And children, look at what what typically developing children do is they play. They play, they play, they play. And now schools are starting to realize going back to play. I mean, they should have never been moved away from play, right? Because play is the spontaneous manifestation of the, the system, the brain, generating a lot of variations, a lot of permutations. Mistakes, I mean, mistakes are mistakes or mistakes are a variation. The child is asked to write a letter a certain way. They write it a different way. It's just another way of doing it. It doesn't give you that letter, but it gives you something else. So then you can do also something different than that, and you can do something different. Just the freedom to start doing and not trying to, and you don't do it 100% of the time. It's like you'll drive yourself and your child crazy. But you do moments of that and moments of that. And I believe you'll be amazed to see how much sharper the mind of your child gets and how much more astute the children become. I mean, they become really astute. Another question. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that's such a great point. You don't do this 24 hours a day or every waking moment with your child, but every single interaction with your child could be an opportunity. Now, there are times when you don't have time because you have to get out of the house, and then you can say to the child, you know, I'm going to put your pants on, I'm going to put your shoes on, and we're going to go shopping. But if you do have a little moment, then that's the moment you can, like, choose the wrong shoe for the wrong foot and like start to put it on and see what it feels like and you know just bring the and and but you can also put the the, the shoe on your hand you can put the shoe on on the head exactly you can say should this go here should it oh 
and then you know, and, you they, know, and if the and, child is aware enough to know that a shoe goes on a foot, then you put it on your head, and they'll think it's hilarious. Most and then of it's the that, time, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And by the way, you will also change. You will also wake up. You will also have a better time. It is fun. And when I do this, for example, with a child, I don't know if I do it, then they will know to recognize which shoe should go on which foot. I actually am not invested in the immediate outcome. I'm 100% invested in the quality of the process. And one of the reasons I do it now 100% of the time is because it has worked so well for so many children and for so many years for me and for other practitioners that, you know, that have trained with me. Okay, next question. Okay. Well, there's a comment um, and question from Cynthia. She says, I see what you're saying. It does make sense to me. So a child who cannot learn to walk on their own is not doing all of those incorrect permutations as well as, as a, a child who's figuring it out for themselves. Since a child in traditional therapy spends much more time out of therapy during the week, do they not have the opportunity for their brain to try these other methods? Okay. Methods, you mean? I, I think uh, methods and ways of standing yeah, or yeah. just not enough variation or ineffective variations. And she says, thank you for these chats. Okay. So look at, uh, if the child goes to therapy, I can guarantee you that their ability, their brain's spontaneous ability to generate variations is greatly reduced. And because if they were able to generate those variations well enough, they wouldn't need the therapy. So, so, and what therapy does very often, again, different people work differently and some, you know, teachers and therapists do fantastic stuff with children. So I don't, I, do, I really don't want to generalize. I just want to create the, the awareness that therapy at times really focuses and, and tries to get the child to do what they can do. Now, if they can't do something, that means that their brain is not a, a, a created the underlying neural networks. That means the differentiation and new connections and new, the way of different parts of the body to move one part relative to the other. So then it can pull it together, integrate some of those uh, new connections into a pattern and in the right timing that gives an outcome. So, you know, if you look at a child lying and then rolling to sitting or an adult, the whole thing is coordinated to get from point A through a process to point B. But if we don't know, and, and by the way, those elements in the process of coming up to sitting, the process has all the elements that are required for sitting. But if the child does not know to do it, he's missing or she's missing a lot of those elements. Now, some children, if you put them sitting, they will figure out how to stay sitting. They'll contract their abdomen muscles. But many of those children need pillows need to, because they'll topple over because they really, their brain is missing a lot of the differentiation that would allow them to master sitting. So so the, the reason by to, to bring variations is to... F- give the brain from, quote, the outside in, the experience of that those different experiences and the different permutations, 
And then the brain gets the new information. And if you do it slow and without force and in a way that the child has time and is guided maybe through your words to feel what, what's happening with them, what they feel as they move, the brain is just, the brain just, it's amazing the potency of the change in terms of learning, the learning process. So, and by the way, you take a regular class of children and you take, whatever topic, and rather than try to teach them to the correct quote-unquote knowledge, like this is one and one is two, or that's what Napoleon did. But it's like you start playing with that and giving variability around the concept of numbers and guiding them to gradually know what is correct and what is incorrect. More children will do well in math they will learn the math faster. And I just heard a story yesterday from a man who for one year had his young child, I think she was five, in a very different culture. Uh, they didn't learn to write, but they played with the shapes A and B for we, four days each one. And then they came <clears throat> back to school and she was, I don't know, kindergarten, first grade, and where they taught them. And she had no idea the first day how to read. But they introduced the letters to, for reading and the next day she read. That was it. Her brain was able to take what she's learned. It was all this different. They did a lot of drawings and this and dancing. I don't know. It sounds very interesting. And then she just read. So I did that, not that thing, but something like that for my child when she was in, uh, you know, kindergarten. So, so introducing variability for yourself as uh, uh, an element to help you figure things out is very, very powerful, very powerful. For a child with special needs, we, we have to provide it if we want to potentiate their brains to be able to find unusual solutions, meaning figuring out how to stand or how to walk or how to talk despite the given real challenges that they, or, you know, interruptions in the brain that they have. Uh, Cynthia actually followed up after um, her question saying, for example, my elder son will put the shoe on the wrong foot, but it doesn't seem to help him feel that it is the wrong foot. I ask him to notice if it feels differently. Well, the, the, you see, so think about the same first essential, the feeling, you know, uh, of the movement. So your son sounds to me that he needs a process where his brain's ability to notice sensations will get more astute, more refined, more differentiated. And you can forget about the shoes, don't focus on the shoes, but find other places where uh, you, I don't know how old he is or what you can do with him, but but you can but but in real life, you know, you, you can say, I, I need the water, but I need it um, warm, but not too hot, and say, oh, that's too. Do you feel this is hot? I I don't know. Play with sensations, with uh, but not as an exercise, but within within daily living, and and see. And and probably also his movement is less refined than it could be because the ability to feel finer sensations goes together 
is is part of learning to move in a more refined, complex, skillful way. Uh, I think we are... So we're going to draw this uh, episode to a close. So thank thank you you very much. And meet you again. See, I mean, we don't get to see, you get to see us. Uh, or hear us. By the way, you can also listen to the podcasts. You don't if you don't have the videotape, or you want to listen to it while you're driving, or while you're washing t- dishes and your child is crying and you want to focus on the podcast. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Neuro Movement Revolution with Anab Benyel. You will find all of our podcasts and additional resources on our website at www anatbanielmethod.com You can also subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We look forward to seeing you online for our next Neuro Movement Revolution.